0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O faithful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself through creation, but you have also given to us your word. Lord, that your word is upright and all your work is done in faithfulness. Lord, what a great and glorious promise that we rest in this night as we open our word that is before us this evening. Lord, that this word that is before us is upright, that it speaks of the work that you have done in your faithfulness to your church. Lord, help us to see Christ, to behold his glory. Help us with your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word, the Lord, from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I've received full of payment, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We come to a new section in the book and letter to the church in Philippi, and I need to make a comment about how we're going to dissect this passage. Often when we come to the Bible, we need to be able to divide the word. As Paul instructs to Timothy, we're to rightly divide the word of the Lord. Now, this letter is one whole letter. This letter is written from start to finish from Paul. It is read in one whole sitting. And yet we are to study this letter. I cannot teach the whole letter in one sermon. Even Paul preaching until midnight would be a hard task for me to be able to cover all that we have studied thus far. So, we need to be able to divide it. Well, how do you divide it? Well, in clear passages and sections, but even within that moment, this clear section from verse 10 to 20 is one whole thought that Paul seeks to be able to unpack. That Paul speaks to this church in Philippi and gives thanks to God for their gift that they sent to Paul while he was in prison through Epaphroditus. Ever in this big, long passage that Paul is directing to the church, he speaks of various themes unto this. You see clear, clear divides here in verse 11, where previously he's speaking of the church in Philippi, but then he turns and talks to himself, not that I am speaking of being in need. He clarifies that he's not discontent. We're in verse 17, that he is not looking for gifts. It's almost like Paul needs to make some qualification statements and disclaimers about what he's trying to say and what he is not saying. He speaks of the church in Philippi, he speaks of himself, he speaks of God, he speaks of contentment, collaboration with Christians, contributions of Christians, God's provision through all of this. So to try and understand and divide this, I've sought not to be able to divide it numerically, but to try and divide it through theme. The next week, Lord willing, we'll be looking at verses 11 to 13. But this week, we'll be looking at verse 10, and then verse 14 to 16. I believe these speak of the same theme. You can see thought, Paul's thought, even in his disclaimer in verse 11, that he, he goes down a divine rabbit trail, rabbit hole, that he speaks of himself not being in need of being content. We'll focus on verse 10 and then again we'll jump down to verse 14. So, again, this section deals with Paul giving thanks and giving thanks to God specifically for the relationship he has with the church in Philippi. And he recalls going back to the very beginning of this Bible study that began. This church plant in Philippi, that met by the river, led by Lydia. As he began the very letter in which he wrote that he thanks his God with his, as he remembers the church in Philippi, as he says in verse four, always in every prayer of mine to for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now this is exactly what Paul is talking about in verse 10 in chapter 4. But it does appear that he's saying that they have not always had this commitment. In verse 10 he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly and now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I think this can... Be a bit misleading based on the translation of revived. Actually, it's better to be able to speak of something that is nursed, caring for an infant, that they did have a concern for him. But it wasn't that their concern was dead and then immediately just came to life again. Paul clarifies that in this time, they've always had this nursing, this caring for an infant, but they've not always had the opportunity to show that forth. Well, what does that mean? Well, the churches in Macedonia, which is this area Philippi is located in, is actually lifted up in Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 where Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So these churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, they're going through this time of severe test of afflictions. Afflictions that of what Joseph faced when he was in Egypt, as Stephen explains in Acts chapter 7. Or what Paul faced and would face. As he's warned in Acts chapter 20, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me or even as he mentioned before in Philippians chapter 1, that there are some people who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. This is what's happening in the church of Philippi, as Paul writes in Second Corinthians, that they have faced many afflictions. But in amongst this many afflictions, they have had an abundance of joy in the midst of extreme poverty. And this is what Paul is speaking about when he says they have not had this opportunity. They were going through a very difficult time of these afflictions, of this poverty, a combination of mathematical equations that no one in the world would be able to solve. How can severe affliction, an abundance of joy, and extreme poverty end up in equal generosity? This is what happens in the church in Philippi. So this concern that they had for Paul was not wavering. They were limited. They did not have this opportunity. They've always been in a partnership with him from the beginning until now, praying for him. And we're not told specifically why they didn't support Paul during particular times. Maybe the distance made it hard. Maybe travel, trying to get the money to him was a bit more difficult. Maybe there was this internal conflict that Paul is addressing in the letter in chapter 2. Maybe it was the poverty in which they went through. Paul needs to then go and explain that It doesn't matter what happened. He's able to be able to see that he's not dependent on this financial aid. That he is happy. That it's not now that he has jumped up and now he is content. He's found it able and learned how to be content in every situation. Look more at this next week. But Paul, again, is is rejoicing about what the church in Philippi has done for him. They haven't had this opportunity, and yet they still are in partnership with him, and that's what we see further down in verses 14 to 16. That he realizes that it's very kind of them to be able to share in his troubles. As Paul turns back, He thinks of the kindness that he has seen in the church in Philippi. Again, the church in Philippi is such a great example for us to be able to study. One of the great churches in the New Testament where we see what a healthy church can actually look like. Not a perfect church, but a healthy church. We'll see this as we go through the rest of this portion in a a couple of weeks' time. But here we see this healthy church being able to be able to help others with their kindness in when other people are going through troubles and burdens. But in the world, you might have to earn someone to be able to help, to be able to care for you. But here the image is that of two business partners who go through great success at times and great failure at others, but they share each other's roles and responsibilities and loads and burdens. That here this church in Philippi is able to be united and connected to Paul the missionary, that they share together in this partnership. And this partnership is not merely just of one of social justice, of going forth to be able to help others, It's not of connections of political parties or, as the liberals would say, loving-the-neighbor-type partnership. The Greek word here emphasizes participation. A basic translation would be that of fellowship, a deep partnership of these two going in the same direction, united. But what is it that unites them is the gospel. As he says in the first chapter, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that they're united, Paul, a missionary in prison, and Philippi, this per- this church in this location, is able to connect and support one another because of the gospel. that we need to understand and we need to make sure that our partnerships, particularly when we think about missionaries, are gospel-focused. One of the great controversies in the northern church in the days of J. Gresham Machin. And the Presbyterian Church in the north was, here they are, sending out all these missionaries, sending out, giving all these money to be able to go into all these different nations and places and locations, and they're sending forth what they call missionaries. And J. Mason says, we're not sending forth missionaries. They're not proclaiming the gospel. The kingdom has not been built. We're helping a lot of people in physical needs, but we're not helping them in their spiritual need, the deep need that every human needs. That our partnerships not merely are just to partnerships with other people, but partnerships particularly in the emphasis of the gospel and Christ's kingdom. And what we need to understand here at this point is that Paul and Philippi are not great big powerhouses. Paul was not some super theologian that we understand and know today. And what I mean by that is that Paul actually was seen by others as a weak preacher. He was a weak theologian. He was a weak apostle. But he said early in the book of Philippi that there's people that are going out trying to dissuade people from following Paul. And yet there's this church that connects with Paul. This church in Philippi. And this partnership goes forth and helps the gospel expand. So it is true for us today that we need to ensure as we continue to be able to support missionaries, as we support missionaries not based on popularity, but their faithful carrying out of the Great Commission. And not merely just support in a financial sense of sending them a check, it's very important but to support them more in a, in a gospel-centered way. But these men and women, and often their whole families, have, have given up a lot to be able to go serve in a foreign place, learn a new language, to be isolated and lonely from others. Often when we think about the true missionaries that go to the far-reaching corners where there are no Christians, they also give up the fellowship of the saints. They might go to a place and finally they might see a convert. And the church there is their family and this convert. And this convert is isolated and lonely from their whole family. So to see this emphasis of this partnership of the gospel, to be able to see where we can help others who are lonely and isolated, tired and worn out. Now funding can be one of the major issues and reasons why missionaries return home but also what type of missionaries we support and who we support. Here's some interesting facts why churches should really think about deliberately supporting those people who are not as popular or not as famous. 75.9% of work of missions happens in a context where the majority or a large percentage are actually evangelical Christian population. 75% of missionaries serve a place where the majority of them are Christians already. 23.7% work in a context of greater than 2% evangelical Christians. but 0.37% work among the unreached, where there's less than 2% are evangelical Christians. What should be the reverse is actually true. We should be sending most of our missionaries to places that do not have a majority population of Christians, particularly evangelical Christians. That's not the case. There are 6,741 unreached people groups in the world. The definition of an unreached people group is a population that has less than 2% evangelical Christians. Of these 6,741 groups, they make up 42.2% of the global population. 42.2% of the global population. 3.14 billion people live within those parameters of what that unpeople group, people group, unreached people group. And less than 1% of full time Christian workers are ministering to these groups. We got almost half the population, and 1% of our missionary field is working in that field. And so Philippi here is unique in that is seeking to be able to support Paul, who is, again, not esteemed as we think of him today. That it's through this one church helped and supported Paul. Actually, specifically only one church. If you see at the end of verse 15, From the beginning when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. When Paul went through his list of who are the supporting churches who are supporting you, he had one church, Philippi. It's hard for us to begin even to try and think and fathom that Paul and his ministry and what he went through and how we understand him as, as, as the Paul, Luke writes about in the book of Acts and, and what he did. And there was one church who was helping him. But we also see another aspect. Here Paul speaks of this partnership as giving and receiving. That this partnership between Paul and Philippi, Philippi and Paul, is one of give and take. Again, an important principle of healthy Christian relationships. That we support each other through various trials. That if one party is always giving and giving and the other is taking and taking, Now again, we need to think of this more outside of just financial terms. That Paul here is fervently praying, fighting honorably, furthering the kingdom as he serves the church and even encourages them as he writes this letter. And Paul in no way actually seeks to be able to charge the church for these blessings. He writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, then what is my reward then in my preaching that I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? The church specifically in Corinth, Paul says that he has not charged them, although it is his right as a minister that Paul says this right as a preacher, as he says in, in the epistle to Timothy, he uses the illustration of the muzzled ox, treading out the grain. Maybe that's a good analogy there of a preacher, being like an ox. However, when we think about this here Paul served, either as a tent maker or a through the support of this church, sending Paul to be able to help them, he's supported to be able to go forward and do his duties as a minister. I think there's a very challenging verse when we think about church and her finances, how we support others in ministry, particularly that one person who is not supported... that a church might be able to go alongside to be able to support them not only with money and prayer, encouragement, and gifts, fellowship, many other things as we think of this partnership relationship of giving and taking, taking and giving. But finally, we even see that this giving goes even further. In verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. That here, Epaphroditus was sent to Paul to be able to encourage him, we learned in chapter 2. A messenger and minister to my need. But again, Paul knows who supplies the needs. That my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. That he realizes this church is a way that God supports him through his needs. And his God will support this church with theirs. Again, we'll look at this in several weeks. That he as an elder, as a minister, has his needs that need to be met. In Acts chapter 20, as he's talking to the church elders from Ephesus, he says that you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. That here Paul had needs that were supported by the church. The phrase once and again is placed at the front of this Greek sentence, which is a a way in, in Greek to be able to show emphasis, to draw its attention. That here the church in Philippi not only just once supplied the needs of Paul, but multiple times. That even in this time in Thessalonica, which we read about in Acts chapter 17, was only for three weeks. And yet this church in Philippi were able to be able to give Paul and support him. During these three Sabbaths, the members of First Presbyterian Church in Philippi supported and sent needs to Paul. Again, what a challenging verse. We wouldn't think about it this way, but... When we see all of this as as the model for a church, a healthy church, as it thinks not only of itself, but the broader, greater kingdom. How drastically it changes what we think and what we do as a whole when we start to, to give and truly support others. Particularly in this instant, missionaries. The church does not see an immediate benefit from giving to Paul. I'm sure they could think of many things to be able to do in their community to be able to use those resources for the furthering of their kingdom in their little spot. And yet what they decided to do was think outside, broader of God's bigger kingdom to be able to help and support Paul. So to the same model needs to be applied to us, particularly as we think of missionaries who are going to places that no one else has gone, no one else wants to go, And the churches support people in those places. They support the person who doesn't get support. To think about giving out of poverty, to give out of affliction in times of overflowing joy with his wealth of generosity. What a challenge that is for us as church members, as we think about giving and taking that we are all in this gospel partnership together. Now, I think sometimes the challenge for us is to give. However, I think in my short time in the South, I think there's a politeness in saying no to help. I think oftentimes the church is ready to be able to help But sometimes, we don't think we need help. It's too weak to ask for help. It's rude to accept help. It's wrong to seek help or to ask. But the truth of the matter is, this is gospel partnership, giving and receiving. It's all a part of it. You bless one person, and one day you bless them back. You get blessed twice, you bless another person back. The gospel partnership is is not merely just giving and giving or taking and taking, but it's both. Challenges us more broadly as a Presbyterian denomination, thinking about who we might be able to help and support. Other churches aren't in the same need that we are. Or to flip it, that other churches are in greater need than we are. How we might be able to help them challenges us as families as we think about how we use our money, our time, and our treasures, how we can use it to be able to help others. And often those needs that are, as are before us are never just an instant switch. You give a pair of socks away and it doesn't change a person's life. What that takes is true gospel partnership and investment into them. It challenges us to think about that great implication of how a church is connected to one another. That here Paul and this church in Philippi are able to be able to share in this partnership. It's not because they merely know each other. It's not merely they have general interests with each other. But their union, their, their partnership lies in their truth and their union to Christ that it's not that Philippi is sitting here thinking this is going to benefit down the road. Maybe Paul will be able to tell someone that there's a church in Philippi and that might be able to help us grow. That actually, as Paul does his work in the mission field, Philippi as a church grows because the kingdom grows. They're not isolated and thinking in in terms of this is our realm. The whole realm belongs to Christ and growth in the kingdom is rejoicing for the whole body. Because as their union with Christ, as Christ is the head and the church, grows globally. That they see the body is cared for, the body is supported. Because this small church in Philippi is able to see this bigger and greater mission than what they are in this small corner of this globe. What a great challenging verse as we think about His church how God grows His church across the whole world. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank You for difficult passages like this that remind us once more of how we as a church are connected to many churches and Your church at large. Lord, that we are members of Your body. That throughout this presbytery we're united to Brothers and sisters, throughout this, this nation, we're connected to brothers and sisters. Throughout this whole globe, we're connected to brothers and sisters. And each of us have burdens to be able to share, but also shoulders to be able to support. Lord, help us to be able to see the great broad mission of the church. Help us not to be able to see this church as isolated, but a church on a great mission sent by their King and their Savior that as we as this small outpost on this hill might carry out your great commission as we support other churches who do the same. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com.